Every time I looked at, at email and there was another one, I just couldn't fucking believe it. Because I've got COVID, I've kind of got a touch of that COVID brain. So I'm reading every one of Bonnie's emails like three times over to make sure that I'm not making the mistake. Because you can't really trust your brain on COVID. What are you using for email, Bonnie? I don't know. Is it important? Could we please start this show? No, we're giving the audience a peek behind the curtain. <laughs> I probably get 100 emails a day. And there's all this stuff that has to get done. So maybe I work a little on this one, a little on that one, a little on this one, then I come back to that one. So I probably forgot. No, has nothing to do with that. You don't okay. read the whole email. That's the okay. problem. Can we start now? Well, that's yeah, a let's... great cold open because that's a grabber. Yeah, that's <laughs> a grabber. And you're reeling them in. They heard me say something about COVID and they're probably concerned. Oh, are you kidding? Of course concerned. Uh, Adam, how are you? Oh, oh Paula, I'll God. tell you during the show. You'll tell me during the show? Aren't we gonna... What? If we have a cold open. We don't! I emailed you about that. Don't you think it should be short? I mean, now you're like, how's he doing? We don't have a cold open. I emailed okay. you, no cold open, no CO. I guess Bonnie didn't read that. Yeah, Bonnie just read no O, and she thought I was referring to orgasm. No, I said CO. She didn't read the C? She didn't read the C. That's no really C. selective reading. Yeah, no CO. Oh, my God. Adam, you're going to tell us in the middle of the show, you're going to tell us how you are? Well, at the beginning of the show, this is the CO, and, we have, and we're not doing the CO. No, we're not doing the CO. So I need to introduce the show before we talk about how I'm doing. Well, that's a good point. Okay, but wait. <laughs> I just want to say that Tony wasn't careful with her Zoom, and that's how you got COVID. You got it over <laughs> Zoom. Because, to because Tony crawled to the microphone and breathed on it, and that's how you got COVID. I'm not saying I do have COVID. I'm waiting until the show starts. Can someone get Dr. Fauci on the phone for me? Because I'm sure that that's exactly what happened. I'm using science. It's quite likely. That's why I'll never be a Republican. I was using science. I'm starting the show, okay? Republicans fall up. Do you know why Republicans fall up? <laughs> why? Because they refuse to use science. <laughs> so they have no gravity. I'm ready to start. I really am. Okay, I'm wait. ready. What? I have something. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, you know, Wait. my ear thing keeps falling out all the time. That's not good. But, okay, so one reason I think we should have the cold open that's a grabber is because we don't have a theme song that tells you what the show is. So I was going to do this. Here we are at Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone Show. It's the greatest talking, <laughs> laughing interview, blah, 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 blah show I know. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yay. I, yeah. yeah, that was. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why we do a cold open. <laughs> yeah, that was a grabber. I'll tell you what. That, I'm going to lose that part. That song was a grab. Oh, don't you lose that. That was don't fantastic. Lose that gold. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you lose that, you'll have to write a new one. Yeah, exactly. You're going to be kicking yourself later when you realize that could have gone platinum. That could have gone right to the top of the charts. Okay. Clear the runways. Here we go. I'm introducing no, the show. No, I don't no. think so. What? <laughs> Not since Courtship of Eddie's father has a theme song revealed so much about what was coming. People, let me tell you about my best. Or the Brady Bunch. Oh, that's a good example. 
It's a story. That, that gives you the whole... Yeah, it gives you the whole story. I can't believe we haven't started the show yet. <laughs> Bonnie told me you not know, to. You know, we had a no. cold open that was nine minutes long. You we guys did a just nine, don't know it. That's, we did because a nine-minute-long cold open. We're not doing today. a cold open. Wait, Paula, you We're had not. a nine-minute-long orgasm? Yeah. Yeah, that's what she said. Yeah. I got up and went to the pantry in the midst of it. Um, <laughs> I just love chips. I do. Um, uh, I'm ready to start whenever you guys are. I am. That's the thing. I mean, this cold open has gotten my attention. I can't speak for the listeners, but I have seen a peek behind the curtain that horrifies me. Yeah, the, oh, the humanity. Here we go. Okay. Coming to you live from our... God damn it, Bonnie. Okay. Coming to you... All right. Mrs. Coming Carmichael. to you live from... God damn it! <laughs> COVID! I didn't want to do the opening. Nobody let me. <laughs> No, we are letting you. You just don't know it because you have COVID brain. Damn that, Tony. Oh. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California. Nobody listen. <laughs> Oopsie. Oopsie, little poopsie. Yeah, you know what? That was entirely because of Tony's COVID. <laughs> That's right. I blame Tony. I Here we go. Responsibility. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's no but why are you writing now? <laughs> well, wait, did you just say something? My earplug fell out. <laughs> it keeps Never mind. Doing it. Oh wait, what was the thing you said? Nothing. Nothing. Oh my God. No, what? What was it? My life will be so much better if we just continue, okay? Can you just you tell me what you guys what did you think I was gonna write down? Here we go. You know what I think we should consider doing? A different show? No, I think we sh I think we should consider doing some sort of training film about how to make a podcast because yeah. we are so good at it. Okay. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California. It's probably nobody listens to Ball of Houndstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight. Don't you write that down, Bonnie. Oh, my God. <laughs> what is it that you think I'm doing? I'm I just need you to note. pretend to enjoy my intro. Just once. Oh, my God. I couldn't even remember. Okay, whatever. Here, do you think I'm writing something? I. You know what, Adam? I think, like... You just think that I'm writing something bad. I'm not. I'm writing. Good job, Adam. Adam, she's yeah, writing. that's what I'm writing. She's writing it so. It's, she's writing a journal. Dear diary, it's so good to see Adam again. Look, it says two pins. No. All right. I'm just gonna try not to look at Bonnie on my screen while I do this. Dear diary, I was so worried about Adam when he had COVID. It's so good to see him. <laughs> That's hard. Okay, I'm then. sorry if you see me. You see me now. Here we are. You don't know now, do you? Dear <laughs> I, I I don't want to see that look on your face ever. <laughs> Trying to look sneaky. Dear diary, I'll never speak to Tony Anita Hull again because she gave Adam COVID. 
She moved the notebook to her lap so it doesn't look like she's leaning off. And okay, writing. what about now? What about now? I don't care. I'm going to stop looking at you. Do the intro. Okay. Thank you. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's definitely nobody listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life tonight comedy, I tell you guys, it's such a personal and subjective thing that there's no way to quantify it. I mean, there can never be the comedic equivalent of baseball's Hall of Fame, right? Wrong! What were you thinking? Of course there can be. And Journey Gunderson from the National Comedy Center is here to tell you all about it. Wow, you guys really messed that one up. Let's try another one. Hey, nobodies, how does your garden grow? If your answer was loudly, then you're going to love our new segment, Garden Time with Captain Crinkle. I'm Adam Felber. This show's living embodiment of who's on first, desperately trying to impose order and sense on a world that refuses to understand. And now, please welcome the verbal equivalent of Lucille Ball's out-of-control conveyor belt, but with Doritos, it's Paula Poundstone. Well... Hey, you guys. So good to see you. Welcome, Paula. <laughs> what a surprise. Hey, you know what? Before I say anything else at all, I want to thank tonight's house band, Kristen Lejeune on the violin. She's great. Love her. Kristen is an active freelance violinist. That means she can just pick that violin up at any time and start to play. She's a freelance violinist and violist. In the Chicagoland area and southern Wisconsin, that's until the Republicans stop people going over the state border with a violin. That's up next. Uh, she's also been teaching private lessons for 34 years. She has one student who just doesn't get it. Yeah. For more information, especially about virtual lessons, check out her website, www.kristen.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-E-N, violin.com. Yeah, and hey, Paula Poundstone, what about you? What's new? What's going on, Paula? What's the hottest? What's the latest? Oh, my gosh. I have been asked to uh, speak at a local college uh, oh, wow. in their theater department. I've been asked to speak on the cold open. Uh, and the importance, <laughs> importance the of the cold open. The CO. The CO. Uh, how to do a cold open. What's the proper way to do a cold What's the meaning of the cold open? What's the history of the, you know, when did the Greeks first stumble on the cold open? Uh, oh, yeah. There's a great history there. Yeah. Yeah. Euripides said, I, I didn't realize we were taping. And, and that's really how the yeah, cold open the began. Um you know what I'm very excited about? I just saw on the side of a bottle of uh, shampoo that I have, it said, you are about to begin your healthy hair journey. Wow. Yeah, exactly. I'm so excited about the journey. I've, I've been packing. Um, uh -huh. I'm going to take a lot of pictures on my healthy hair journey. And uh, I'm going to probably get together with some healthy hair relatives. Uh, <laughs> I'm really excited. I don't think they really meant a journey in that sense. I mean, you're, you're welcome to pack and travel, obviously, but I think that yeah. it's more of a metaphorical journey that your hair goes through, not one that you physically take. Oh, my hair is going to go through like an emotional journey, like hair therapy of some sort. Where Maybe. 
Yeah, I'm going to wake up in the morning. There's going to be like Kleenex in my hair because it was just crying and crying all night. That's uh, likely. Yeah, about the abuse that it take. It, it has taken abuse. My hair has taken a lot of verbal abuse. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, who writes these things on the side of bottles? Your healthy hair journey. And the thing is, you know, I've said this before, but I, I, I just every time I see something like that, I think to myself, how many meetings were there about that? You know, where there was somebody said, no, no, I don't think so. And then, you know, somebody storyboarded it for them. Then Jim had like a slideshow. You know, here's the here's the journey with the hair. See it. See it blowing out the train window. There's the hair journey. Um, and that was before Eric explained to him that that's not the way they meant the word journey. Uh, it's a beautiful story, isn't it? Somebody might have gotten like a raise for that. Um, you know, a promotion. All I can ever think of when I see like a, you know, a blatant advertising campaign like that is uh, Darren Stevens from Bewitched. Why is that? Because uh, it's really my only, I never watched that um, Mad Men. So for me, advertising is still Darren Stevens and Larry Tate. Wow. I think it's changed since then. I don't I know. I think it's pretty much the same thing. I think really? it, it's a guy trying to think of ideas where he stops his wife from being who she is. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? You're probably right. Hey, you know what? I want to say hello to everybody here, but let's do it. I'm sure our listeners have noticed that for the past three weeks, because we're also verbose and there's so much more to talk about, we haven't actually worked our way around to me when it's time for a personal update. And I actually have one this week. So I'm going to start with oh one. My gosh. If we were doing a cold open, you guys would have heard about this already. But guys, um, I am currently suffering from COVID-19. No. Yeah. So oh, yeah. It's hit my whole family, except my son. He's some, somehow managed to get out of it. I tested negative yesterday, but I'm still feeling it. Um, I see Coney nodding as though that happened to her as well. And I tell you, you don't want this thing, this with the COVIDs. What was it like? Uh, you know, it, my, my throat hurt and, and, and I was congested and uh, just about every cold symptom you could possibly have, I had. Also, you know, I just haven't been thinking as clearly. Plus, you know what I'm noticing because I'm looking at you on the Zoom camera. Um, you, you're you're bald. You had a um. Oh. You, you, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Your hair. Oh wow. Your hair must have taken a journey. It must have. I mean, I can't. Everything <laughs> just seems so fuzzy right now, except the top of my head. That um, I honestly can't recall. Did I have a full head of hair? Oh my gosh. COVID? Yes. Yes, well, you is, were terrible. Um, you were like a, a plush toy. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's unfortunate. So yeah. I don't know where I got the COVID. I mean, I, got, I probably got it from my daughter, but I don't know who gave it to her. Probably Tony Anita Hall. I don't know. No, for you sure. got it from Tony. You got it from <laughs> Tony not using her Zoom carefully. And uh, yeah, that's, that's probably how you it. it. No, they say this new one is so transmissible. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, and, and the brain fog is a real thing. Hey, let's keep going around. Tony Anita Hall. Yeah. How is your COVID? My COVID is gone, so that's oh. good news. If you need it, I know where you can find it. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. But um, I cleaned out my apartment. I do it every couple of years, purge stuff. Wow. I got rid of all of our, sadly, our book club books are being Oh, donated. no. Yeah. Ooh, wow. Wow. That's, that's a blow. Yeah. Um, I need to find a place to donate them, but... They're, they're in a box ready to go. Even Eat, Pray, Love, which you already owned and loved? <laughs> Eat, Pray, Love is out. You know what? Remember, they're making a movie about nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. <laughs> and they're going to need those props. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, they're they're SOL. So. SOL. Oh wow, that's a shit, shit out, out of luck. luck. Oh. <laughs> uh oh, Paula might have COVID. I, boy, I was yeah. I really couldn't put those letters together. Yeah, they're Saul. They're Saul. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad you got your cleaning done. Uh, that, that's a good thing. And uh, Bonnie Burns, um, what's new over there in the Simi Valley? Okay, hey, here's what happened to me this week. I've been ordering a lot of stuff from Amazon for our garden, which I'll get to later. And, you know, stuff's been coming pretty regularly. So the other day, I get one of those USPS boxes, like the little ones you can send stuff for $5. And I think it's just like another one of the things I ordered. I open it up, and there is this big plop of what looks like shit in it, in a Ziploc bag. (laughs) And I'm like... Okay. More fan mail. <laughs> right. So I'm like, oh, my God, is this? And I smell it. It, didn't, it was kind of like shit. That's and not then, my first thing. What did it smell like? Uh, well, oh, it clearly should, was some kind of You should have tasted it first. That's usually what something so now, really foul you know, tasted. I don't know about you guys, but I get if somebody delivered like a thing of shit to your doorstep <laughs> It says to me, like, they're saying a really horrible thing about you. Like, they really hate you or something. And I'm, oh, my God, who, what, what I do, who could have done this? And I look at the return address, and it's from Paula Poundstone, (laughs) who sent me a pound of the worm castings from when she lost the bet. That's right. I owed it to you. Yeah. Wait, so Paula, you didn't put a little note in there or anything? No note. Well, I had Wendell, uh, you know, pack it up and send it. Uh, but he didn't. He didn't write a "Hey, this is from Paula" thing, or so no. you just you basically sent Bonnie a pound of poop unlabeled. Yeah, we, we talked about it over and over again on the podcast. Bonnie reminded me later that I had welched, that I hadn't yet sent the worm waste. So you would think that she would have some sense. That, and by the way, it doesn't really smell. I mean, it smells sort of damp. No, it, it, it doesn't smell like, it's not like human waste or dog waste or cat waste, which I okay. would know. It looks like a big plop of shit. And, <laughs> you know, because I was opening all these boxes, there was no reason to check first and see where it came. And I don't, it was so awful, no offense, but I got another Ziploc bag and put that your Ziploc bag and another one to just make it a little less around me. Then there's no instructions about what I'm supposed to do with it. Like, do you put it outside in the heat? I kind of remembered your worms had to be in the heat, so it's there. No, they don't have but to I be But I don't in the know. Heat. Oh, okay. No. Do you refrigerate it? That would no. be really gross. Okay. No. Why would you refrigerate? It's, it's from, going on here? <laughs> it's Maybe from it gets worm. moldy or something. I, no. It's worm <laughs> waste. Put it on your garden. Okay, but do you work it in with a fork, or what do you do? Okay, Bonnie, this is really giving me a lack of confidence in our forthcoming segment tonight, Garden Time with Captain Grunko. <laughs> because I haven't read I'm about mulching. Uh, I'm starting to question the whole premise behind giving you a gardening mini-show on our show, given the line of questioning you're asking here. Yeah. I, you, don't, you don't look to see who a package is from before you open it? No, because we get so much stuff from Amazon. I just always look to see who it's from first. 
I don't look. I never look. <laughs> and if she, no, I'm if just she, being curious. So Paula, even though she, she's the one with the gardening show, do you want to tell Bonnie what to do with her with that lump of shit you can send her? No, she could tell me later. No, go you, ahead and tell me now. If you're planting with it, you want to use like a a twenty percent, eighty percent mix, twenty percent worm waste, eighty percent soil. You can also make like a little tea bag from it, not for yourself. Um, but you can pour water through the tea bag of the waste, mm. and that's a way of using it. But it's not particularly challenging. Um, it's not really all that hard. And this is going to blow you away. You could just you <laughs> could Google how to use it. It's okay. not that hard. The other thing is, you lost a bet months and months and months ago. I reminded you twice. I finally just decided you probably forgot to send it to me. I so didn't. it wasn't like I went, it's worm waste. That's it weird. looked like yeah. a big hunk of shit. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you very much, Paula. I'm, I'm Why, looking certainly. forward to using it in my garden. Well, I don't know that it's something you should look forward to, but I just... Well, I'm looking forward to garden time with Captain Crinkle. That is for sure. But until then, until we have garden time with Captain Crinkle, I do have a word. All right, let's hear it, Paula. It's approbation. It's a noun. That means... Approval, uh, praise. Here, I'll use it in a sentence. When we're walking and Mo manages to pass by another dog without lunging or making a fuss, I heap on my approbation, hoping she cares. It's a great word, that approbation. I'm going to try desperately to remember it long enough to use it correctly in this show. And if I do, I get to send Cher a dollar. I don't get Let's that. Let's start by putting it in the vocabulary song. Ah. There we go. This week's word is approbation. It's a noun that means approval, praise. I give a lot of it when my dog most stays. Last week's word was maelstrom. It's a noun that means a powerful whirlpool, and its second meaning is a state or situation of confused movement or turmoil. The whole building was blown to bits, even the gargoyle. The week before that, the word was plenary. It's an adjective that means unqualified, absolute, do what I say or get the boot. Going back before that, the word was timesis. It's a noun that means the separation of parts of a compound word by an intervening word or words. Heard mainly in informal speech. Donald Trump's face should be in the dictionary beside the word im goddamn peach. Let's never forget Gallimaufry, which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumbler medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable, replicable, replicable. But I do, I do, I do, I do. After I do, there is a moment of such stress when I can't remember if I go to the bigger one or the littler one. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's like it's like I'm headed towards the edge of a cliff. Ah, uh, Tony Anita Hull, who That's protested me. at the Trump White House with a sign that said, Craft, not graft. If you can tell me... <laughs> 
Which of A, B, C, or D sounds like it would come from someone who was nonplussed? A former nobody listens to Paula Poundstone vocabulary word. We will give literally dollars worth of advertising to Books and Crannies at 50 East Church Street, number four in Martinsville, Virginia. However, and I'd rather share a pup tent with Alex Jones than even think about it. But if you cannot tell me which of A, B, C, or D sounds like it would come from someone who was nonplussed, then we will not be able to give literally dollars worth of advertising to Books and Crannies at 50 East Church Street, number four in Martinsville, Virginia. Tony Anita Hall, are you ready? I'm ready. Don't give me COVID. Which of the following <laughs> sounds like it would be said by someone who was nonplussed? A. So the guy walked across a tightrope. Lots of people can do that. B. Oh my God. There's someone with a bow and arrow at the door. Is it Robin Hood? Wrong house, Robin Hood. Is it Gina Davis? Should we crawl? Get some ice for the side of their elbow. (laughs) We'll befriend them. C. He said I was stupid, ugly, and often tardy. And then he fired me. Or D. When I walk into a room, I own it. People melt with desire when I walk past them. Everybody hopes I'll stop and talk to them. Some people even call out my name, but I just turn my head in the opposite direction. It makes them want me more. Hmm. I'm going to go with B? You didn't sound very (laughs) convinced at all, Tony. Well, Tony, nonplussed is an adjective that means surprised and confused and not knowing how to react. So the answer is B. (laughs) I'm sorry. Oh, wait, it wasn't. Wait, wait. (laughs) What did you say? What did you say? Oh, my gosh, I'm so confused. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) I was nonplussed. I was entirely nonplussed. Tony and Ada Hall, congratulations. And congratulations to Books and Crannies at 50 East Church Street, number four in Martinsville, Virginia. We at Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone recommend that if you are in Martinsville, Virginia area, and we all are at one time or another, we recommend that you stop by Books and Crannies at 50 East Church Street, number four, in Martinsville, Virginia, and buy some banned books. Ah! <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, it is. It is B. Oh my <laughs> gosh, I'm so nonplussed. It's B. It's definitely <laughs> okay, B. Great. Ah! <laughs> you know, everybody, Mel Brooks said, tragedy is when I cut my finger. Comedy is when you fall into an open sewer and die. We'll visit the National Comedy Center with Journey Gunderson when we come back. Adam. Yes. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. And the sixth one has start a podcast. If that's you, (laughs) make 2024 the year you finally checked learn a language off your list with Babbel. 
Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. Don't do it. Or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. And Paula, I got to say, I really appreciate the whole like getting phrases that are important to know in that language right away, like how to order food, how to ask for directions, how to speak to merchants. And I really dig more than that, the speech recognition technology, because even if some of our listeners think that I have a weird cadence when I am attempting to speak Spanish, (laughs) I am am speaking it well enough for the Babbel app to understand what I'm saying, at least when I do it right, like this. Listen to this. Adios, Carlos. Ya te vas. Sí, es tarde. Entonces, buenas noches. Hasta pronto. I don't think you have a weird cadence. I think it sounds great. Thank you. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Yikes. And their football team is fantastic. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, plus all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Is there some kind of special? Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription. Wow. But only for our listeners at babbel.com slash nobody. If I'm not mistaken, Paula, that is 55% off at babbel.com slash nobody. The one spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com. And then you just add a slash and the word nobody. And it's 55% off? Yeah. Wow. Rules and restrictions may apply. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. Adios. Hey, everybody. As longtime listeners know, when Helix Mattresses first started sponsoring our show, Bonnie Burns somehow got the drop on me and made off with the first mattress. But in the intervening years, I have gotten myself a Helix mattress. I've had it for almost a year now, and it has improved my sleep. It has improved my life. I could not be happier. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, which I have, the newly released Helix Elite Collection, which is a mattress designed just for big and tall sleepers, and they even have mattresses made just for kids. Now, if you're like me and you were a little nervous about trying it online, or like Paula, who was screaming in fear of buying a mattress online, don't be. The Helix Sleep Quiz takes into account your individual sleep preference to match you and your partner with the perfect mattress. I took the quiz and I ended up with a great mattress for a side sleeper, the Helix Midnight Lux. Take my word for it, everybody. The Helix Midnight Lux. Oh, don't want to take Adam's word for it. I don't blame you. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula and use the code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Paula. 
Paula, Paula. I invited you over, but <laughs> you fell asleep. Helixsleep.com slash Paula. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. Hey, guys, it's Adam. And tonight is January 3rd, and I am picking Giannis Antetokounmpo to score less than 36 points and James Harden to score more than 16. Why? Because I like beards. Am I putting a lot of money on this? I am not, because I'm not really a gambler, but I am having a lot of fun with Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. They're the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, who I would lose to, you pick more or less than two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in, or in my case, not. So I don't bet a lot. With the basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James and Travis Kelsey had a 10.5 combo of three points made, plus receptions. Do I get that? Kind of a little bit. Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and doesn't return in the second, that player is rebooted. So, it's like an insurance policy. Go to prizepicks.com nobody and use code nobody for a first deposit match of up to $100. That's prizepicks.com nobody and use code nobody for a first deposit match of up to $100. And then drop by and see how I did with the Greek freak and Harden again on January 3rd. My hopes are not that high. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. <laughs> On this day in unremarkable history, silent film star Louise Brooks said, I could just scream, but what would be the point? Thank you, house band Kristen Lejeune. And we are back. Hey, Paula Poundstone. You have that I want to tell Adam Felber look on your face. I do. You know what, Adam? The first thing I want to say is that Kristen Lejeune is the Lejeuneist. Thank you, Kristen. Fantastic. And you know what? I want to point out, and I know I do this frequently. I hate to show off my skills with foreign language, but in French, Lejeune means the June. Ooh, that's yeah. deep. Yep. That's, it's that's true. deep. Well, you know, Adam, we were just off mic talking about healing. Uh, for me, comedy is healing. I don't think there's anybody who doesn't love comedy. I, I, I mean, that'd be like saying you don't love music or nature. I grew up with comic heroes like Carol Burnett, Lily Tomlin, Lucille Ball, Flip Wilson, George Carlin, Dick Cavett, Richard Pryor, Gilda Radner, the Smothers Brothers, Bob and Ray, and Madeline Kahn, to name a few. The Supreme Court recently said that that football coach guy could pray on the field. Let me tell you something. The Dick Van Dyke show is my religion. If I was a football coach, we would start every game the right way. We'd watch a goddamn episode of the Dick Van Dyke show and we'd be better for it. Comedy is good for the soul. It's a way of seeing things, understanding things. A sense of humor is a coping mechanism. It gets people through. We should have a place that collects it all, you know, that celebrates it. A, a place that, that can lift our spirits. A place that honors the silly. A place that reveres the banana peel, the double take, the pie in the face, the oh, Rob, the land shark, the belly laugh. 
But you know what? There'll never be a place like that. Well, <laughs> Paula Poundson, I, I hate to contradict you, but there is a place like that. The National Comedy Center. Okay, but I'll never get to talk to the person that runs it. I I'm just not that lucky. It's just not who I am. Or is it who you am, Paula? Because as it turns out, we have the exact person that you're hankering to talk to right here, ready to come onto our show right now. No. Yes, really. She's executive director of both the Lucille Ball Desi Arnaz Museum in Lucy's hometown of Jamestown, New York, and the National Comedy Center. She directs both of them. That's the nation's official cultural institution dedicated to the art of comedy, and she's right here. Please welcome Journey Gunderson. Welcome, Journey. Thanks for having me. Your name is not to be confused with the odyssey that Paula's hair is on right now. Yeah, Journey, I, I, I had a shampoo bottle that said that I was starting on my healthy hair journey. Uh, it's different. It's entirely different. All right, so Journey Gunderson, first of all, thank you so much for being here. And second of all, what is the National Comedy Center? Well, I'm so glad you asked. It's uh, the nation's official cultural institution dedicated to celebrating the art form of comedy, but also preserving its heritage telling its story to future generations. We opened in 2018, and we're in Lucille Ball's hometown of Jamestown, New York. I love the idea of preserving it, because you know what? I forget my own stuff. <laughs> so I, I love the idea that the really great people are being saved somewhere. How did it come into being? Whose idea was it, and how did it get off the ground? It actually does originate with Lucille Ball herself. You probably know, and maybe many of your listeners know, that Lucille Ball was not just an amazingly funny uh, comedian and actress. She was also a really savvy businesswoman and a visionary. And when they came to her in the late 80s and said, hey, we want to build a museum about you and I Love Lucy, she said, well, don't just make it about me. Make my hometown a destination for the celebration of all of comedy because no one's really done it. And she also had lived the fact and witnessed that comedy had never really gotten the same level of reverence and respect as other traditional or classical art forms. And so she felt like this was due. And it took us a few decades, uh, but we finally got it together. <laughs> and let me tell you, opening a new national museum right before a global pandemic was fantastic timing. Oh, it's uh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone had to do it. Yeah, so, someone had to. Who decides and how is it decided which which comedians are being featured? This is a great question because really early on in the concept phase, we made a pretty conscious decision to treat it more like an art museum, where rather than focus on a level of quote unquote success or celebrity or popularity, it would be about looking at the art form as a whole first and saying, okay, what are the varied and various contributions to the craft and to the art form that, in, that were really influential or that were innovative in their time period? Mm -hmm. um, so we assembled, we felt like the more minds involved, and we still feel that way, the better in accessioning new things into the collection and putting more things on display and deciding uh, what exhibits to present. And so it was literally hundreds of researchers, a lot of documentarians and comedians themselves. And, you know, we opened in 2018 and are already working on some new exhibits this summer being uh, Carl Reiner and Johnny Carson. We were recently in the news for acquiring the archives of the show in living color. 
there are so many stories to tell. It's a nice problem to have. There's so much of comedy history that we're uh, struggling each day just to continue to tell that story. What's new in the uh, podcast wing of the museum? <laughs> well, really, it's just all about nobody listens to Paula Poundstone because who else is there? There you go. Yeah. yeah. And we feel that we should instruct people on how to make a podcast because we really, we just have a gift. So how many people even started working on the project in the beginning? Were you there in the beginning or did you get hired on later? How much was already there when you showed up? It was really a board of directors of the Lucille Ball Desiarnez Museum who had been uh, deep in conversation with Lucy Arnez and the Arnez family about what that vision was. We had very little and raised $50 million from there. Wow. From philanthropists and foundations, the federal government, the state of New York, cultural heritage and preservation sources, and people who love comedy as an art form and felt that this should exist. I mean, I was nervous for 11 years straight while we were building this. Uh, and I'm sure you can appreciate this, that we were here we were building an institution for the most anti-establishment and irreverent population of people that you possibly could find. And uh, there were many times I said, is this a bad idea to make an institution for, <laughs> for comedians who are good at making fun of anything that feels institutional? And even if you look at comedy's you know, relationship with awards, and the awards models in our country, you know, the Academy Awards traditionally have snubbed comedy. Um, so all of those things were part of the compass that guided the creative process and the curatorial process. And we kind of look at it as our job is curation. Our job is to make sure that figures from a generation past aren't forgotten, that we're tracing the lineage so that kids in their 20s who think that Trevor Noah or Jon Stewart sort of like began uh, political comedy know about Mort Saul or know, know about the Smothers Brothers and know what came before them. Uh, the other thing that's been really interesting is just making sure people appreciate the role that comedy plays in our society and how it's not just entertainment. You know, the activism therein and that comedy is really at the forefront of every progressive social change movement in this country's history. So there, there's a lot to unpack about comedy that is more than just laughing, but people also do that. The Three Stooges mocked Hitler. I don't think most people think that you turn to the Three Stooges for political humor. But but they they did. I love them. Um, and the thing is, <laughs> the thing is, we don't all laugh at the same stuff. You know, the I, most people don't look at a painting and go, well, I'm offended. Uh, but they love to do that about comedy. They almost do it joyously. People love to be offended by something that they heard in the world of comedy. Uh, how do you correct for that for visitors? We have a little sign in the lobby. That's how we correct for that. All right. But we do. We kind of say, hey, you know, our job is not to opine on whether the points of view were right or wrong. Our job is to serve it up for you and allow you to have that conversation. And really, we facilitate that discussion. So you're looking at jokes and knowing the context of the era within which the joke was made, uh, what year it was. And, you know, a good example of that that's front of mind for me right now is the humor of Joan Rivers, who was making abortion jokes when you couldn't use the word abortion in polite company. Some of the jokes, I would love to repeat them now, but I won't here on this podcast. Why not? I'll tell you why. They include pretty graphic and disturbing references to the ways women were getting around the issue of not having the access to legal abortion. But that was teaching people something that was making them think and going, oh my God, women are going through this because it's not legal. 
And that was decades ago. You know, uh, when you were mentioning about young people not having this idea that somebody that they're seeing now was the person who started, you know, political company or whatever. I think it was years ago. I think it was on David Letterman, maybe, that I first saw Bob and Ray. I think Mm. they were promoting uh, their book, Right If You Get Work. And uh, Letterman was a huge fan. Well, the guy under the bleachers, the guy who had Get a Life. Chris Elliott. Thank you. It was Bob Elliott's son. I didn't know that. So there was a connection there. But anyways, I remember uh, sitting on the couch at at my parents' house. I I must have been in high school and watching, I think it was Letterman with my dad. Is that possible? I don't know. But anyways, we were watching something and there were Bob and Ray, who he was familiar with because they were radio stars in like the... 50s. And now I was seeing them for the first time and I just fell in love with what they do. And so again, you know, my kids, if they see something that's in black and white, they're like, well, we don't like to watch it because it's, you know, like it's too old. I I think they're a little bit outgrowing that idea now, but I I do just love it that there's a place sort of that multi-generationally a family can go and, you know, see stuff that the kids might not have been exposed to before. And once you hear the tone of voice and the way Bob and Ray did what they did, you can pick up anything they ever wrote and know what's funny about it because you hear the way that uh, they did it. You, they were radio guys. You had to hear them. Wait a minute. I, I lost. I lost. I <laughs> yeah. got so carried away with there myself. There was a question in there somewhere, right? No, there wasn't. I was just okay. going on. No. Journey, do you want to react to that? <laughs> I would love to. Uh, I think I think to Paula's point about tracing the lineage of comedy's heritage and making connections between g- different generations, whether it be the audiences or the artists. Uh, one way we lean into that kind of magic is to have every visitor create a sense of humor profile as step one of their visit. So when you arrive at the National Comedy Center's museum, which has thirty-seven thousand square feet of exhibit space, the first thing you do when you arrive is create a sense of humor profile. And that data is loaded onto a wristband, an RFID chip. And that allows the exhibits throughout the museum to read the room and to respond to your sense of humor. So is, have you created sort of a, a music genome project? Is, are you the Pandora of comedy? We worked with some of the same people who had done the tagging of content for Pandora's comedy content to work with us on building this uh, nervous system, I'll call it, for the museum. So everything is sort of tagged and connected and given attributes in comedy. So throughout your visit, you're also honing your profile. Like if you come across something you like, you can tap and, and sort of add that to your profile or indicate that you like it. And at the end, we present you your sense of humor uh, in a very scientific analysis, which is fun to compare with that of you know whoever you're there with that day. Can we do this online? Can we get profiled by you guys online? Or do you uh, just do that in secret by stealing our identities? The latter. No, you can do it okay. online. We'll, we'll, we'll work with you on it. But really, I think, I think the best way to do it is to come visit the best new museum in the country, the National Comedy Center in Jamestown. Wow. You know, guys, Aisha Tyler said comedy is ugly. It's raw. And then she said, wait, did I say comedy? I meant oysters. More with Journey <laughs> Gunderson when we come back. Cat of the Week is Eddie from Muskegon, Michigan. 
am so happy to be back out on the road. I am vaccinated and fully boosted. I wear a mask until just before I hit the stage and I put it back on just after. And I want my audience to be masked and vaxxed. Do you know why? Because I never want to lose the opportunity to perform in front of a live audience again. It has been so much fun. I got no supply chain problems. I'm backed up with jokes. I'm the crazy Eddie of jokes. I got way too many. I'm practically giving them away. My flight was delayed the other day because I kept stepping behind the first class curtain saying, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Paula Poundstone and stepping through to tell jokes to the rest of the people in coach. Even when they duct taped me to the seat, I said, duct tape? Why would a duck have tape? Why not sloth staples? Well, I guess sloths would staple too slow and the staple wouldn't hold. Besides, sloths lose office work. You gotta come see me in a theater, just so I can get my dignity back. We are back with Journey Gunderson from the National Comedy Center in Jamestown, New York. By the way, Journey, where is Jamestown, New York? Jamestown, New York is in the southwest corner of the state of New York. Amy Poehler spent some time here when she was doing the documentary, uh, Lucy and Desi, to go through our archives, also to get a feel for the place where Lucille Ball grew up. And she cited it as having this feel of like a... Midwestern work ethic kind of a place versus, you know, had Lucille Ball grown up maybe in the other end of the state. So it was just interesting that Amy Poehler was connecting the geography to Lucille Ball's work ethic and her roots and, you know, what led to her success in comedy. I, you know what? I think Amy Poehler is wrong about that. Surely there were lazy people in Jamestown as well. <laughs> um, hey, the Journey, what, what's the relationship between the Lucy and Desi Museum and the National Comedy Center? We operate them both. It's, it's two different museum attractions, both in Jamestown. You can buy a dual ticket and visit them both. They're a few blocks away. And the National Comedy Center or organization is a nonprofit that uh, operates both museums and also produces the Lucille Ball Comedy Festival annually here. I have been lucky enough to be a part of the Lucille Ball Comedy Festival before. And I got to tell you, wait, one time, I think I've done it more than once, but one time when I did it, they had like a little um, music trio on stage that played me on with the uh, I Love Lucy theme song. Oh, I, wow. I almost wept. I, I, I remember my, my daughter, Allie, is also a, I'm, all my kids love uh, I Love Lucy. But Allie in particular, if, if, if she were to come over and I were to say to her on any particular night, do you want to watch something? One of the things that would be thrown into the mix anyways as a choice would be uh, a couple of I Love Lucys, even though we've all seen them a million times. Um, they still make us laugh. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I think I called her that night to tell her because she was the only person I could think of who would know how that pleased me all the way down to my bones. It's probably, in fact, you know what? I'm going as far as to say it probably provided me with some sort of healing, illness-preventing shield, that, that experience. That's what I think. I probably should have had that experience because Tony had an opportunity to infect us both with COVID over Zoom. And That's right. <laughs> and you only got it. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Um, Oh, and the other thing they had um, when I was there at Journey was they were setting the Guinness's Book of World Record for the most people dressed like I Love Lucy. That's right. Paula, you headlined. uh, Joan Rivers was there as well. She headlined one night. You headlined a night. And it was the 100th birthday celebration of Lucille Ball. I remember there was tons of press and we decided it would be a good idea to set a Guinness World Record. And we did achieve it with 916 Lucy's. So it was a magical weekend. Were they all wearing the blue polka dot dress? Yes. The requirements were that there had to be the red hair and uh, iconic blue polka dots. And I think even the red lipstick was the third component. Oh, nice. How much did you beat the previous record by? Okay, I didn't tell anyone at the time. The previous record was only like 250, but that doesn't make headlines. So, so we, were, we had registrations well past 250, and I was still like, come on, everybody. we got to get as many Lucy's as possible. All right, so yeah. Jamestown, New York, is a little bit off the beaten path. Who visits the, the center, and how have you promoted it? How have you, how have you made sure that everybody knows about it? Other than on this podcast... Which is, you know, yeah. which goes out to everyone. Everybody. Well, I was going to say, yes, by going on widely listened to podcasts, like nobody listens to Paula Poundstone, but <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. Um, I think uh, like any nonprofit museum, we all wish we had a larger marketing budget than we do. But I'm really proud to say that the awareness building that we've gotten and the uh, attention we've gotten has been pretty organic for the work that we've been doing. So, mm-hmm. you know, the Today Show having Mel Brooks and Rob Reiner on to talk, to make the announcement that Carl Reiner's archives would be donated to the National Comedy Center, the accolades that we've racked up from being named the best new museum in the country by USA Today to being named the Times World's Greatest Places list. These are things that, you know, speak to the work that we've done and that we didn't open something that was a B plus. You know, one of the things that was a key domino of momentum was certainly the, the donation of George Carlin's archives. It was like a 25,000 piece archive donated by his daughter, Kelly Carlin in 2016. And that's kind of when the New York Times and others started paying attention. And uh, then I think the next acquisition was Shelley Berman's archives. And oh, wow. that's, a good, oh, wow. that's, a, that's a good example of a figure for whom without a museum like this, uh, risks being easily forgotten. Like when we bring high school groups through they don't necessarily know Shelley Berman. They may know him um, from Curb, but then we explain sort of how foundational he was and that he influenced people like Carlin who go on to influence people like Seinfeld and so on and so on. Absolutely. You mentioned Carl Reiner, uh, who I worship. He's left you his papers. Yes, that's right. Uh, well, in his case, we're pretty fortunate because it's 75 boxes of material. He saved everything. So this archive includes the earliest jokes he ever wrote for television, like sitting on the floor outside of the writer's room because he hadn't been made a writer on your show of shows with the legendary Uh writing room with Sid Caesar, uh, through his final tweets and his his last musings uh, on any topic in comedy. And one of the great things about this particular archive is that it allows us to show process and his multiple drafts of every script of every film he ever did, And it's a great archive as well, because Carl Reiner was one of these people who made everyone around him better. You know, he was known really as being one of the great collaborators, 
with greats that are arguably more household names, uh, like Mel Brooks and Steve Martin and Dick Van Dyke. So it's an awesome archive for us to work with as a museum because it really allows us to show the process. Yeah. He probably, as a performer, in some ways, like uh, the 2,000-year-old man, for example, I mean, he was often this straight man, um, mm -hmm. but he was the perfect straight man uh, and really funny at, at doing it. All you have to do, you guys, is Google... Uncle Gupti, it's a, a sketch on your show of shows that was a takeoff on a terrible show that used to be very popular, well-known, called This Is Your Life. And Carl is the straight man in this, and it is so damned funny. I wish I knew how much of it he had written as well, because it's brilliantly funny. I had an experience years ago in fact, my manager, Bonnie Burns, may have been at this as well, which is there was an event at Rob Reiner's house, uh, some sort of political event, and Carl spoke. Mm. So I can't remember if Carl was introducing maybe Rob. I think he was. And Rob was going to introduce Hillary Clinton. And Carl gets up and he tells this story about how excited he was that Hillary Clinton was going to be there. So that day, in his excitement, he decided to wash his car because he thought for sure Hillary Clinton would notice if he washed his car. <laughs> and it was, I'm telling you, I, I can't do it any kind of justice here, but I'm telling you, it was pee your pants, banging on the table funny. We were... Everybody there was just destroyed by how bloody funny it was. And afterwards, Rob's wife said to me that every word he had said was true. So my, the point being, it wasn't written down. He couldn't have, you know, crafted that and worked on it and honed it. It was just telling a story that was true and was hysterically funny. So um, he he did often play the straight man, but even just a guy going out talking on his own, I, I don't think comedy has known many more uh, uh, brilliant minds. Let me ask you, Journey, if we were to come down to Jamestown, and I will, and I want to access the Carl Reiner archives, where do I start? Uh, we are currently still curating Carl's exhibit, but uh, let's say it's an artist like George Carlin, where we've had some time to sift through and curate. When you approach his exhibit, what we've done is recreate the seven steamer trunks of his stuff that we pulled out of Kelly's house, his daughter. And now you can sort of virtually open them and dig through. His process was uh, Ziploc baggies put into folders uh, labeled with words like uh, death, religion, stupid people. Words was actually one of them. You know, he was such a <laughs> linguist. And in those Funny. Ziplocs are tiny scraps of paper, cocktail napkins, hotel stationery with his just seedlings of thoughts on any topic. And you can sort of trace the origins of these jokes that eventually became very polished, precise HBO specials. So that's just one example. We pride ourselves in displaying as much as possible. We never want to be the institution that just says, well, we're preserving it. Isn't that great? But you can't access it because then what's the point? We also work with scholars and researchers all the time by appointment to go really into the archives with white gloves and really, you know, hold the papers in your hand. We've been supporting uh, recent documentaries. I mentioned Amy Poehler's Lucy and Desi, but also Judd Apatow's uh, recent Carlin documentary. So that's a big role that we now play. That's cool. 
Um, when I work, I, I notice, particularly since COVID, that the audiences, it, it feels to me like they have this uh, thirst almost, you know, for comedy. They, they People will come up to me and say, like, oh, thank you for being here. You know, I mean, in truth, I'm there because I was paid to be there. I'm happy to be there. I'm glad it was a really fun experience for me, too. So I'm just wondering, do you notice any trends in the response or the appetite since COVID uh, with people visiting the center? They were able to fairly early on, right? Did you shut down at all? We only shut down for the mandated period of time in New York State, which for us was 16 weeks. And we used those 16 weeks to revamp what is one of the most interactive museums in the world for the pandemic era, but uh, which wasn't easy because it is so interactive and hands-on. Yeah, to answer your question, I didn't mean to take you off track. The No. Yes, we have seen a, a hunger and an increased appetite. I think people are just so ready to laugh. Yes. Uh, they're so ready to have experiences, whether it be in the museum laughing and learning, but also at the comedy festival. You know, there's a hunger to get out and do things live again. One of the things that's neat about the visit to the museum is that most people visit museums with someone of another generation. And so you do see these like warm and fuzzy moments between people where someone is at once remembering something funny, like maybe it's an old Isle of Lucy clip or something like that, or Dick Van Dyke show and laughing, but they're there with their grandson who's laughing for the first time. Uh, I also, I saw a great interaction in our stand-up lounge and, you know, you would ask like, how do we display people's stuff or how do we curate in the stand-up comedy lounge, uh, you approach what's sort of like a cocktail table and everybody taps their wristband on their cocktail coaster and then the exhibit reads the room and presents some content based on the attributes of the people in the space. God, that's great. Yeah, and so a great uh, Stephen Wright joke comes up and I see this kid who's like 16 swipe his wristband on the table indicating he liked it and wanted to add Stephen Wright to his profile and his dad was like, oh, I didn't know you were Stephen Wright then. He goes, who's Stephen Wright? No, I've never heard of him. He hadn't heard of him, you know, he was a young kid, but was learning about him in that moment. And his dad was already a fan. So it's kind of neat to, to witness that. It's, it's warm and fuzzy. I loved passing on, you know, an interest in the stuff that I like to my children. It, it's even like if you sit down with a friend and you get talking about, say, Life of Brian and, you know, the handful of lines that I can remember. And, and you know, you, you say one and then your friend says another. And then there's something about the meeting of the minds on humor like that, that uh, it's, it makes you feel closer to the person in an odd sort of way to know like, oh, you like that too. And I can never remember lines from things. I, I can't remember my own lines, let alone somebody else's. So again, I'm glad it's all archived. Journey, do you have more examples of the way you feature comedians and their work. Is there anything else cool about the way something is displayed that you want to tell us? Or do you think we got it? I would love to tell you another thing. Uh, you mentioned that you love the intergenerational sharing of an artist or a piece of comedy content. My favorite exhibit and the hardest one to build and the scariest one to launch was the Comedy Continuum, which is a massive, you know, 70 foot wide interactive wall that is like six degrees of separation on steroids and comedy. You basically approach the wall and tap in and it presents a never ending web of connections in comedy, both wow. connections of collaboration, like people who have worked together on things, but also connections of influence. One artist who cited the other as an influence. And you see how it connects everybody in comedy 
Um, and then there are these hubs that get activated, institutions in comedy like the Second City or Saturday Night Live or UCB or even The Simpsons, where tons and tons of people in comedy have intersected. So those pop up. Uh, there are takeovers that happen in the space. And it just gives you a sense of how both large and small the comedy community is at once. Oh, I love that. You know, Journey, that was an excellent summation of a place that I am now definitely going to come visit. But now we're going to take all the information that you gave us and run it through the old Poundstonator. Paula? House band violinist Kristen Lejeune, thank you so much for again fretting and bowing across our show. You really sound wonderful. And if I could ask you to sound wonderful a little more, I'd love some background music so I can tell you what the old Poundstonator spit out. Journey Gunderson, executive director of the National Comedy Center and the Lucille Ball Desi Arnaz Museum, thank you so much for joining us to tell us about where comedy loves to be. The thing about that sense of humor profile is amazing. Well, would you look at that? We both have the same sense of humor profile. Neither of us like the rough language, for one thing. I'm not surprised. That's how we've been able to be married all these years without causing World War III right in our kitchen. <laughs> Let's go to the first exhibit. There you go. Put your bracelet right up there. You know, water's very upsetting to a cat, and it doesn't hurt them or mess up their fur or nothing. It's just very upsetting. <laughs> They don't know why. Such that when I take a shower, it's the most incredible thing my cats have ever seen. They all three line up right outside the shower. I can hear them banging on the glass while I'm in there. Afterwards, I open the door, they're like, that was amazing. Man, it was all over you. And there was nothing we could do about it. That glass thing was there. that Paula Poundstone did you think that was funny no I didn't really either <laughs> those people at the Saturday Night Live exhibit seem to be laughing quite a lot let's go over there okay I'll put my bracelet up to the scanner ladies and gentlemen here's a very very special lady a good friend of mine from San Francisco Miss Paula Poundstone that's her again. Thanks very much. It's really nice to be here. I'm having a terrific time already. I love it here. Nice, crisp, cold weather like that. I live in San Francisco. It's like foggy and rainy and cold all the time. When it first started to rain, I said, terrific. It's sort of romantic, really. I'll break up an old chair for kindling, buy a bottle of wine, sit in front of the fire for the day. Two months later, a hopeless alcoholic with no furniture. <laughs> I'm not too fond of Paula Poundstone. Are you? Know why this bracelet thinks I am. Let's go over to that Tonight Show exhibit. Here is a uh, talented young comedian seen recently on HBO's show called Women of the Night. She appears frequently at the improvisation here in Hollywood. Would you welcome, please, Paula Poundstone. Paula. Oh, my God. I have a place up in San Francisco where I have little kid roommates. Two little kids I was babysitting recently. They're like little. I told them it was time for them to take a nap, and they got all mad and started to cry. Can you remember when you didn't want to sleep? 
Isn't that inconceivable now? I was just like staring at them like they're not even from this planet. I think that's the definition of adulthood right there is that you want to sleep. If a three-year-old came up to me and said, listen, I am beat. I am just gonna crash in the back room here. I would be like, my, but you are mature. not enjoying her at all. How do I get this damned bracelet off? Security, our bracelets are possessed or something. Honey, do you have some clippers or some shears or something in that Cadillac of a purse of yours that we can get this bracelet off? Wait, wait, let's just calm down. Scan your bracelet one more time. Make ha-ha your habit. I'm gonna get this fucking bracelet off my wrist if I have to cut my hand off to do it. She is the executive director of the National Comedy Center and the Lucille Ball Desi Arnaz Museum right down the street from it in Lucy's hometown of Jamestown, New York, Journey Gunderson, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Coming up, does Bonnie Burns really have a green thumb or does she just have really bad circulation? You be the judge. Garden Time with Captain Crinkle is coming up when we come back. Fun fact. Mars bars are named after the businessman who created them, who is also credited as inspiring the work of Hector Mounds, Ernie Payday, and Sir Archibald Crackle. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Kristen Lejeune. Oh, and boy, is this an exciting, exciting time in the life of our show, everybody. Because there is some fun <laughs> stuff ahead. Adam. Yeah. Adam. Adam, answer the phone. And answer the phone, Paula. The phone is not ringing. Uh, yeah, it is, Adam. You're your COVID brain. Uh, answer oh. the phone. How do you do that? All right, uh, there's the phone. Okay. Um. Hello. Adam, it's Cher Eva. Oh. I'm calling to warn you, Adam, that I'm getting some very dark images from your chakras. I'm getting a, a sense. It's, it's almost a, a tingle. It, it's like a thumping or a, or a chill at the bottom of my heart. Oh. It's a foreboding. It's like a vision or a flash. Adam, you are about to have a health problem. Okay, so uh, thank you for the warning. Wait, 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 maybe it's not a health problem. Maybe it's a car problem. How, how is your car working, Adam? My, my, my car is fine. I knew it. I knew it. You didn't knew it. You just asked me if my car was working. Sometimes your anger it. gets, your anger, Adam, can get in the way of your chakras. Oh. It's, it's, it's going to be a health problem. I know it. I knew it. I knew it. Okay, listen, Cher Eva, on Thursday, I tweeted that I got the, you know. Hit in the head. Hit 
Oh, I knew it. I knew it, you poor thing. You are also about to get something. I can't, I can't quite read it. You're, you're so angry. That can lead to a lot of health problems, Adam. I'm not angry. <laughs> and I wasn't hit in the head. Look at you, trying so hard to be positive. And it's just not really in your nature, is it? Is that your wife crying outside your door again? My wife was never <laughs> crying outside my door, okay? You're going to get yourself sick with something, Adam. I can feel it. I can feel it. It's a vi... A vi... A violin. Do, 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 do you have a violin? Stay away from it. I don't have a violin. Your violin was stolen. It's no wonder you're so angry. Chair Eva, I have COVID. I knew it. I knew it. I am so sorry to be the bearer of bad news. My gift can really be a burden sometimes. You've got to go. Bye-bye. Stay strong for your other podcast. Share <laughs> well, Eva, everybody. Other podcast. Paula, what could you have been talking about? I don't know. I'll tell you what. I hope you don't have another podcast. Hope you're not cheating on me with another podcast. I wouldn't, if I had another podcast, it wouldn't be cheating. It would be cheating. Trust me, it would be cheating. Okay, Paula, you know what the one thing that might be able to cut through this COVID fog and cheer me up a little bit and help me turn the corner health-wise? What's that? Some sort of healthy, fresh advice about how to tend my own garden. Oh. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> do, do, we do we have that? It is now time for our brand new show within a show. It's Garden Time with Captain Crinkle. I'm a little seed. I need lots of sun. Feeds my growing body. Warms me up. And now it's garden time with Captain Crinkle. Hi. There are some good gardening practices that just make a lot of sense, both for experienced gardeners and for new ones. Today, I'll share some of those practices. Lessons for new gardeners on Garden Time with Captain Crinkle. That was wonderful. Wow. Thank you. Very high production value there. Yeah, produced open. Okay, gardeners, I'm going to give you a clue to what we're talking about today. You say tomato, and I say tomato. You say pepper, and I say bitty pepper. Tomato, tomato. Oh, wait. Pepper, mini pepper. Pepper, mini witty pepper. Today on Captain Crinkle's Garden Time. Oh, my gosh. Is there, I, I'm hoping that someone can get the image of you forgetting the next line. The look on your face. That should be on your album cover. Oh, my gosh. That was perfect. Because I've been rehearsing that, like, today and yesterday. And I couldn't believe I forgot it. Anyway. I can't believe you rehearsed. You know. I'm here to give you a few tips on gardening. And as you may have guessed, it's, it's uh, we're doing tomato plants and mini peppers this week. I like the optimism of saying this week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of people say that growing tomatoes is easy, but it turns out it's not really that easy. And the first thing I want to tell you is you have to plant the seeds. Now, they recommend that 
you use a small container and you put a little hole with your finger and you put the little seeds in there, like about a two inch hole. And then you separate those by two inches, every seed. We didn't do that. I don't like to read the directions. There was a stuff on the back of the seed packet that said like, you're supposed to plant in the, before the spring, you had to figure out how many weeks it was going to be before spring for the tomato to germinate. I ignored most directions anyway. Okay. That's true. I can speak to that. Yes, Yes, she does. She ignores most directions. No lie there. I knew enough that you needed like a small container to start the seed. And she just knew so, that instinctively. Yeah. That you need a small <laughs> container. Her to people start the were seed. people of the land, Paula. <laughs> okay. So, you know, we bought one of those herb kits on Amazon where you can grow like your own herbs. So there was only one thing that grew with all those herbs. It was parsley. What about wait, it's pars parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. <laughs> what happened to the sage, rosemary, and thyme? None of those sprouted. And the parsley grew really tall. And her daughter <laughs> climbed up the stalk. She hasn't seen her in a week. <laughs> okay, so it was eight herbs. And we had one little pot that had the parsley in it. And then I had seven little pots that had dirt that nothing grew in it. Can I just ask you something? Um, why are you talking about the herbs? I thought you were, we were talking about tomato plants. Paula, I will bet you that some of these tomato plants ended up in the soil meant for those dead herbs. Right. That's what I'm getting to. So I just used that soil to put the seeds in. I didn't read the directions. So I put a bunch of seeds in. Then I think my daughter put like more or something. We ended up with seven little containers with that old soil with the seeds. Okay. This is the easy part of growing a tomato plant. We've got beautiful tomato plants. You can't not grow a tomato plant. Okay. That part is true. You you can grow a tomato plant in your dirty <laughs> laundry. Yeah. You can't not grow a tomato plant. So after we'd gone through all this stuff, oh, look, there's a little sprout and blah, blah, blah. And now we had like so many tomato plants in our kitchen. It turns out that the way you get good tasting tomato plants is they have to be grown in good soil. So right off the bat, we weren't off to a great start. Right. Okay. Oh. So there's a recommendation. How You have to do good soil. Okay. There becomes a time when your plant gets to be, I think, the stock four inches that you're supposed to transplant it. When it's a teenager. Yeah. One thing I didn't like is they tell you to weed out the little seedlings that aren't that healthy. Oh, that's not going to fucking happen. <laughs> it really felt like killing uh, something. Like, I felt so badly for the little seedling thing that didn't get used. <laughs> so wait, what you're telling our listeners, Bonnie, or excuse me, Captain Kringle, is that you've made all these mistakes. So you're telling them about your mistakes so that they won't do the same thing. Is that correct? Right. I'm passing on tips that I've learned from my gardening experience. I should fucking teach driving. (laughs) (laughs) I know some of the things to do correctly, too. Get to the giant. Get to the giant part of the story. When did your daughter encounter the the giant? Now you need the medium. When she climbed the parsley. (laughs) Okay, so you pick your seed. Now you need your medium, right? You have to decide on what kind of soil. Okay. 
Here's oh, some tips. Sheriff is a medium. <laughs> Bonnie, answer the phone. Answer, answer the phone, the phone. Bonnie. <laughs> Bonnie, answer the phone. Hello? Bonnie, it's me, Sheriva. <laughs> no, it's okay. not me. <laughs> Welcome to my world, Bonnie okay. Burns. Hi, Sheriva. Bonnie, you're, you're becoming a child. Um, uh, 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 Bonnie, you, 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 uh, I, I heard you needed a medium. I felt that you needed a medium. What can I do for you? Here's my situation, Shariva. So I probably spent like $300 on soil. It's very expensive to get the right kind. I knew it. I knew it. I know that we didn't start the tomatoes right. And now I need to put more soil in there. Like I have to have like five gallons. Is it worth the money to keep putting more soil in? It seems kind of stupid. Why would you need a medium for that? Well, she's going to give me advice. What do you think? What do you see? I see a grocery store. I see aisle five with the tomato sauces. I see your daughter climbing down from the parsley with the golden goose in her arm and uh, going to the store with the money from the golden goose and buying some tomato sauce. That's what I see. Well, thank you, Cher Eva. You're welcome to hang up the phone at any time. It was nice talk, Bonnie. Okay, thanks, Cher Eva. I felt... That you needed a medium. Yeah, she said so. Thank you, Sherry Eva. Uh, Bonnie, so now you've spent $300 plus. Adam? To, to, Adam? Yes, Sherry Eva. Adam, is that you? Appa- uh, I knew you're it. I knew this it. Time. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Adam, <laughs> yes. Adam, it's, I'm getting a feel. It's very warm where you are. Yes, it is. I knew it. I knew it. Because I live in Southern California. No, I told everybody knows. It's the beginning of every show live from our houses in Los Angeles, California. Every single fucking show. Adam, the temperatures are going to be very warm where you live. You might want to wear uh, a T-shirt and some shorts and make sure I, you're I, hydrated. I am, I am wearing those things and drinking Gatorade. Thank you, Sherry. I knew it. I knew it. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, you've got to go. Bye-bye. <laughs> and we're back. Okay, so, Bonnie, to, to return, you spent $300 You still haven't harvested a tomato. Right. Now, there's a controversy here that's very hard to figure out, which is <laughs> the difference between potting mix and potting soil. Some people say that mix and soil are interchangeable. Other people say that mix has is what you should use for pots and soil is what you should have for garden planting. Oh yeah, I know about this controversy because I have neighbors and the neighbors on one side of my house think you're supposed to use potting soil and the neighbors on the other side think you're supposed to use potting mix and they cannot be, these people cannot spend time together. They go after each other with machetes. (laughs) They're screaming. There's yelling. We can't have a block party even because of the potting soil and the potting mix. You you know, I Um, ran into the same problem that Bonnie did because I wanted to replant my front lawn. And um, unlike Bonnie, who just read potting, I just read the mix part. So now I have oh, a front shit. lawn covered with Chex Mix. Oh, no, that's a mistake right oh. there. No, you have a front lawn covered with rats is what you have. 
Oh my God. Okay. So there's some experts that say that you shouldn't use soil. Let's say the term, <laughs> the meaning of soil is the dirt that's in your the ground. Okay. You shouldn't use that for potting mix because it's got like, it can have fungus in it, ants, all kinds of stuff. It's not sterilized. And that's why you should use potting mix. Oh no, you have to sterilize it. So what you do is you get a big pot and you put water in it and then you put the soil in there and you boil it. That's true. <laughs> no, it isn't. No. Were you making a joke? It is true. No, that it is isn't true. In fact, getting the soil got so expensive, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to see about making my own soil. Because a lot of experts go, oh my you God. know, it can be cheaper to make your own soil. You don't have to make soil. It's outside. <laughs> it's... It's the dirt that you're fucking stepping on. Okay. You, you, don't have, you don't have to make soil. That's not true. Do you remember when the pilgrims came from England and they had to grow food to live? And then the, a lot of them died um, because they didn't have Amazon. Yeah. Soil is like dirt, Bonnie. It's outside. Right. And you can till it. You can dig it up and turn it, and then you could put like, yeah, you could put some uh, nutrients in it, uh, but you don't have to create dirt. <laughs> no, but here's the thing. Some people say that if you're going to like grow tomatoes, peppers, whatever, vegetables in a pot, if you use soil like you're talking about that's outdoors, it has a lot of other stuff in it that could be, uh, you know, dangerous to you. And so you should wear a mask if you're going to do that. They don't really advise it. Fine. Bonnie, what did you do? What happened to your tomatoes? <laughs> All right. Okay, I'm getting there. All right. I, You know, Bonnie, wait, I have another important question. No, you don't. What do you want for your... Yes, I do. What do you want for your final arrangements? Are you going to be buried? And if so, is it going to be in <laughs> soil? <laughs> or mix? Oh, or it's in a pot. Be potting mix. It's got, okay. We're going to bury you, you in want potting something mix. something clean. Okay. Yeah. All right. So now I want to talk about staking for a second. Here's my tip about staking. You transplant the plant, put the stake in then. We didn't do that. And so when we ended up putting the stake in, it went through all a bunch of roots and then those leaves and stuff on the tomato plant went like, <laughs> and they haven't really leaked. So, so your, your, your advice here is don't stab the plant in the heart if you can avoid it. No, start when you transplant so that that stakes in there and then the roots will grow around it. You could hear them going. <laughs> when you were trying to get that stake. The, the, the minute I heard that horrible sound, I would probably stop stabbing, right? That's, that's when... That's the plant telling you to stop going. stabbing it. <laughs> okay. And that's when the so, tomato ambulance came in. <laughs> One of the things that's, I think, really fun for any gardener, my daughter and I have really enjoyed it. Oh, my it. God. How could anything be more fun than what we've already heard? <laughs> 300, okay. 300 and like some dollars for a, for a <laughs> gallon of some mixture. That you thought was soil, but it wasn't soil. This is what are you kidding me? This is already like a birthday party for anybody. And Bonnie, let me just say that while you've been talking, I've already grown, harvested, and canned some tomatoes. No. 
You know, so when my kids were is- little, we had a petting zoo one time, and I'm realizing what a mistake we made. And we had a bouncy <laughs> house one time. Uh, we could have done whatever the fuck it is you were doing. With, hey, with, Paul, with here's, some, here's some good advice. If you've got a petting zoo, right, and say, like, you've got a goat that you want kids to pet, it's a good idea yeah. to tie it to a stake. But, you know, yeah, put the steak in the ground I- first and then bring the Have goat. the steak. Have the steak there already. Because yeah. otherwise you might just go right through the goat. Go and, right through uh, that goat. Oh, yeah. The kids hate that. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, wait, so- don't. I, I think that we should just stop with soil. I think adding in staking I'm- is too advanced. Okay, no, you need the staking. It turned out it's a couple of tries to get the right size staking. I thought maybe six feet, those stakes, because the tomato plant would grow really high. But boy, those things you can't even, I mean, it's it's higher than your lawn umbrella. What is? So they had to go back. Oh, so your tomatoes eventually grew more than six feet? No, they're, then I sent those back for, I think they're 48 inch steaks you but bought even six those... feet tomato steaks <laughs> you were imagining <laughs> yeah. that your tomato plant would be taller than me i oh. think it's because it's because the parsley grew so large her kid's still <laughs> up with the giant right now oh my okay, god another problem is because we didn't put those steaks in in the beginning right they don't really stand up very you know they keep going to the sides <laughs> falling out okay but and then you need like those little clippy things clippy to things? make the stuff. Or to clip, you know, know try and clip them to the stakes. Try and get the the plant to stay up. And here's a tip I have for everybody. So if you end up with stakes like we did that won't really stand straight because you can't get them far enough down in the box, you can clip two stakes together like they make an X, and that. Is a does a lot. It's a lot easier to get him to stand up. And also, if you have a tiny Jesus, you can put him up on that. <laughs> um. Yeah. And then when <laughs> the plants finally grow, you've got tomato Jesus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, remember the pre-produced theme song <laughs> with the introduction. <laughs> uh, those- that was a more innocent and hopeful time, Paul. It was so, <laughs> so promising. So, so much I happened. thought, boy, she's really got a lot to say. Wow, Captain Crinkle really got her shit together. My <laughs> first time. I was nervous. Oh. I have so oh. much to say. It was hard. No, no. no. All right, no, so Bonnie. I think it's the opposite. I think you have so little to say that you get nervous. <laughs> because, because that might so, be true. Spent three hundred dollars okay. so, to stab some no, tomatoes with a six-foot stake, the and then created a in cross. The clips. In the I future, stakes in the clips. In the future, I'm putting your fifteen percent in a trust. I don't feel. I don't feel okay. like you're mature enough for me to pay you. I feel like you're just going to waste it I on soil. I want to hear what happened with this yeah, tomato. Yeah, what about the mini peppers? Okay, Sorry. so that's... Oh, no! Oh, oh, Tony, no. no. oh, oh Jesus, God damn it, Tony. Tony, no! <laughs> We're not going anywhere near mini peppers. We're just going to hear about the three green tomatoes she grew no, and get on with our fucking lives. Really quickly. No, okay. Fuck, I wish we were in the no. studio so I could have just kicked Tony in the shins. <laughs> 
It's Naomi and May. Empress Pay. You're going to finish your tomato story. You can learn from this. It won't be a mistake that we made. No, let's save peppers for another time. Yeah. Please. Peppers are for. I'm getting ready. For all our listeners, I want to apologize. If you thought you were going to get mini peppers today based on the theme song, I'm afraid there will be no time for mini peppers. But we are going to make Bonnie finish her tomato story. Oh. Oh, my God. God, no, please wait on the, wait on the mini peppers. Um, maybe if you wait long enough, they'll be maxi peppers. Oh, my um, God. Oh, okay. my God. So tomatoes. Yeah. It's really fast. I'm getting it in really quick. <laughs> no, wait. She's insisting no, on doing the mini peppers. She didn't no. finish the tomatoes. I won't say it. Okay, I won't say it. All right, in conclusion. <laughs> my God, have there ever are. been more oh, beloved wait, I words? I <laughs> I did say this part, which is it's a planting these tomato seeds for tomato plants is a really fun activity to do with somebody in your family because when the little buds start to flower, you can go out and go the little flowers and then like the little thingies pop out like a little nose pimple and that's what starts Wait the tomato minute. growing and it's really exciting Wait a to minute. see. Uh, Bonnie, You're talking far? about Wait. raising tomatoes so that you can make tomato sauce to eat and you're describing something that's on that plant <laughs> as a nose pimple? <laughs> oh, it looks like, it's like a little That is so gross. I can't, I can't okay. even believe you just said that. Bonnie. I'm getting to the end. Oh yeah. So we have two tomatoes on one plant. Two tomatoes on another. Oh, don't make her then do I math. Took a, <laughs> then I took uh, some other it's four tomatoes transplanty things and put them in good soil to begin with. Those haven't uh, started yet. But here's my conclusion. I really feel like I'm stuck in this now. Oh, I feel like I'm stuck in it. <laughs> because I've spent so much money with these stupid plants. I don't know how to stop. Oh, yeah. And I, yeah. It's a little bit like when my daughter went to her first horse show uh, when she was seven and a half. And the people at the barn said to me, oh, you know, you go to this tax store, they have used clothes and you won't have to pay too much for her to be in the stuff that you have to wear when you show. We end up spending $210 for a pair of pants for a seven and a half year old. And then the shirt that's, was like. It is only like two thirds what you spent on tomatoes. Yeah, that's true. Honest the shirt God. was like $85 or something. And then there had to be the helmet was $220. I remember the riding shirt story. By the time I got through that, I was like, there's no way she's only using these pants once. I spent $210 on I'm going to get my money's worth. Yeah. And that's where I'm at with the tomatoes. I don't know how to stop now. It's ridiculous. It's not even fun. It sounds like you've spent a lot more than $300, and you've only got four tomatoes that you haven't harvested yet. Oh, no, they're nowhere close to harvesting. It's a lot of work. My favorite part it turns out to be I got a spray bottle made out of glass instead of plastic after we had the plastic lady on. It's really fun. I love that bottle. It's really fun to mist our plants. However, it turns out you're not supposed to mist. Make <laughs> <laughs> She also bought an electric car um, because we've been talking about the climate change. And so she got an electric car. And it turns out you're not supposed to drive over the plants 
but she's been, because it's so much fun to drive over the plants. No, I have kind of a sad story to tell you. I saw Bonnie's daughter not too long ago, and she had on the uh-huh. shortest, tightest pants I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Apparently, it's the same pants that Bonnie bought her for $200 uh, when she was seven. I, I didn't know that until she yeah. told this story now, but now I realize that's that's why. The, the, poor, the poor woman, because her daughter's a woman now, her, the, she looked like she was just gasping for breath. Uh, it, was, it, was, yeah. it was just sad to see. Those clothes were 16 years ago. I mean, $60, $80 for a shirt. Yeah. If I take one thing away from garden time, it's that you shouldn't pay $80 for an equestrian shirt. Okay. (laughs) All right, everybody. And with that, I want to thank you so much. Everybody, this has been the first installment (laughs) of Garden Time with Captain Crinkle. Go, go, go. I worked too hard on it. It was great. It was I, very informative. <laughs> no, oh, haven't you learned something? <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Absolutely. And I want to say to the nobodies out there, if you have any uh, questions or comments, or you just want to pick a subject for Bonnie to cover <laughs> on the next uh, Garden Time with Captain Crinkle, send that to nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> Paula, what else is going on in the Poundstone product empire? This oh, week? my gosh. Adam, Poundstone Industries, also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated, is absolutely bursting at the seams. As you know, I've been working with Cynthia Cryer Public Relations, and I can tell her publicity campaign for me and my company are really getting my name out there because I am receiving easily 30% more fraudster calls since I started working with Cynthia. And it's no exaggeration to say that I receive double the verbal taunts when I'm out in public. Cynthia says that's to be expected. She also says I owe her 5000 for last week. It's not cheap, this stuff, but it is well worth it. I mean, I have a show coming up, for example, on Saturday, July 30th in Arcata, California at the John Dozer Theater. And I've been using the promotional techniques that Cynthia recommends. And I'm <laughs> telling you, I have packed the front row. I, 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 I know. I, I could hardly believe it myself. Cynthia says one thing you want to do is make it sound like what you're selling will be a memorable turning point in the life of the buyer. I'll show you. Like this. On Saturday, July 30th, I'm going to be at the John Dozer Theater in Arcata, California. It'll straighten your teeth. Buy tickets. Buy tickets. <laughs> make ha-ha your habit. Go to paulapoundstone.com for tickets. Here's another one. On Saturday, August 13th, I'll be at the College of Marin at the John Dunn Theater in Kenfield, California. (laughs) Speaking of college, this will be a night of laughter that'll get your kid into college without Photoshop. Buy tickets. Buy tickets. Make ha-ha your habit. Go to paulapoundstone.com for tickets. Do you see how I'm doing it? Here's another one. On Saturday, August 20th, I'll be in Fairfield, California at Downtown Theater Fairfield. It'll make your neighbors like you. Buy tickets. Buy tickets. Make ha-ha your habit. Go to paulapoundstone.com for tickets. And then I say something like, are you stiff and sore a lot? Go to paulapoundstone.com. Click on the tour page to see when I'm going to be at a theater near you. 
and come be stiff and sore with the rest of us. <laughs> See, that makes people feel like they're a part of the group. You can also click on the shop at paulapoundstone.com to find my remarkably soft tri-polyblend t-shirt with my self-portrait on the left breast and a memorable quote on the back. Plus, you can order a Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone hooded sweatshirt that comes with a copy of Simple Sample Dialogue to help you share with your friends that you listen to Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. This sweatshirt is the beginning of the rest of your life. There's more, of course, but Heidi, I wonder how much I'd have to pay Cynthia to talk to Heidi. That's, a, that's an interesting thought. And Paula, what I'm really hoping for this week is that we will finally this week have time to talk for a second about my oh, other podcast. Oh, we don't. Podcast, we don't have time. We don't, oh, isn't that too bad? <laughs> isn't that too bad? Really? Because it, it, it feels like... If only Bonnie hadn't mentioned mini peppers, we would have time. But as soon as she went oh, into... Oh, that's a... Because it feels like we just devoted the better part of an hour to listening to Bonnie Burns tell us how to kill plants. Yeah. And, and so yeah. I would, I would yeah. hope that there might be a second or two to promote Dad no, Band Land, no, my other isn't. podcast. No, there isn't any time... At all for that. So, really no, nothing? sorry. So, uh, oh boy, that's too bad. Uh, next week, people who want to <laughs> listen to Adam's other podcast, something about music, next week we'll make time for that. Next week, next week. Okay, well, that, yeah. that's good to know. And I'm also sorry to announce that Hall of Poundstone did not manage to include this week's word, approbation, oh. in the oh. podcast. Oh, son of a... I knew it. 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 And thus will not be able to send share. Oh, damn it. Damn it. I got so wrapped up in Bonnie's daughter being up the parsley uh, uh, stalk and losing the cow. And oh, oh. Yeah. So what happens? So you just don't get to send share that dollar, Uh, huh? No. Or does she owe you a dollar? No, no. It doesn't work that way. Well, better luck next week, Paula. And for everybody else, remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your pods. It's free. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to know more about, maybe no! gardening, <laughs> no, don't do to Paula it. Poundstone at gmail.com. I'm begging you, no. <laughs> That's our show. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam the Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Journey Woo! Gunderson. Yay! Comedy Center. Go to comedycenter.org to learn more about the place and how to visit. Thanks to our house band, Christian Lejeune, on the violin. Yay! Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Julie Burakobian. Edited by Vic Lowry. Starburns production by Land Romo. Transcription services for the show provided by TranscribeMe, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? Oh, my God. Imagine having to transcribe this show. Our friends at transcribeme.com, I, I oh, apologize. I just, They're going to have, like, PTSD any time they get a pizza with tomato sauce. That is... <laughs> yeah, I got to tell you. Oh, my look, God. If, if, you, if you went through this whole podcast and it's hurting, just rub a tomato on it. I'll tell you, when she started... With mini peppers, I thought, oh, my God. I mean, I never saw gardening used as a weapon before.
<laughs> yeah, she weaponized gardening, she absolutely. Did. Like we used to weaponize the Candyman song. <laughs> I got I to gotta say, pa- Paula, there's a part of me that is never going to leave garden time. <laughs> oh. I, I'm like a non-veteran. Part of me is just going to yeah. be there. There was a large part of me that thought we were never going to get to leave garden time. <laughs> Big old part of me. I've never been in a tornado before, but it was like we were. It was like we were in the middle of a tornado swirl. It was. It was like we were in a maelstrom. Oh, yeah, and sad. every once in a while, just when you thought like it was starting to make sense, it made sense. No, when you thought it was going to. Oh no, yeah. If it made sense, that's COVID right there. Hey, Paula, is that a tomato plant behind you? No, it's that's a mini pepper. It's a prop for next week. <laughs> Okay, it's really easy to know when you need to water a mini pepper plant because you wait hey, for hey, 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 the <laughs> hey, 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 Oh, yeah. really? I was going to guess that they would have her uh, picture up behind the counter with the word wanted. No. On it. I think it's spokesman for Shh, You're not here. Sto- you're not here. This is not your part. <laughs> oh, my here. God. Would Get be out. a go, good go, idea. Go, go she keeps something. creeping back in like a weed. You can pull her out and she keeps growing. Yeah, like a nose pimple. What the fuck? I don't know. I, I didn't want to pry with nose pimple. <laughs> Network. Hey, everybody. As longtime listeners know, when Helix Mattresses first started sponsoring our show, Bonnie Burns somehow got the drop on me and made off with the first mattress. But in the intervening years, I have gotten myself a Helix mattress. I've had it for almost a year now, and it has improved my sleep. It has improved my life. I could not be happier. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, which I have, the newly released Helix Elite Collection, which is a mattress designed just for big and tall sleepers, and they even have mattresses made just for kids. Now, If you're like me and you were a little nervous about trying it online or like Paula, who was screaming in fear of buying a mattress online, don't be. The Helix Sleep Quiz takes into account your individual sleep preference to match you and your partner with the perfect mattress. I took the quiz and I ended up with the great mattress for a side sleeper, the Helix Midnight Lux. Take my word for it, everybody. The Helix Midnight Lux. Oh, don't want to take Adam's word for it. I don't blame you. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula and use the code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Paula. Paula, I invited you over, but (laughs) you fell asleep. Helixsleep.com slash Paula. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. 